got pretty little control over what I get back in life. I've got 100% control over what I give. I've been doing some work on leadership and starting to think different, starting to think about, you know, the give, get of life, etc. And I remember instead just getting on the bus and seeing the conductor and having a chat with him and actually forgetting about, you know, whether there was a seat or not. And then him talking to me and guiding me to a seat, sitting me down and continuing to talk. And he was telling me stuff about London I didn't know. And then as I went to get off and, and I said, hang on, you still haven't taken my fare and, you know, give me the nod on you go. That was a free ride on me type of thing. And that really blew my mind. Wow, when I gave him my time and attention and genuine interest in what he was saying, something completely different came back that I had no control over. Welcome back to the podcast with myself, Owen Walker. In this session, we're going to be looking at the art of pre and persuasion with Kirsten Campbell. Kirsten is a people development consultant with 30 years experience in both medium and blue chip multi-site operations, including 13 years within the FTSE 100 global organization. She focuses on people development, facilitation, development and delivery of transformational leadership and organizational cultural development. Mostly achieving these results through one-to-one coaching at all levels within organizations and team-based interventions. So welcome, Kirsten, to the podcast. Hi, Owen. Kirsten, what I wanted to do really is just have this conversation with you, if possible, around the concept of pre and persuasion and how we use different language, uh, kinesthetics, body language, inferences, and much more, actually, um, as a way of sort of suggesting and maybe priming conversations for, um, for, for optimal outcomes, really. And what I wanted to do is maybe just explore initially with you, um, Kirsten, something that you teach on and have t- taught on recently is, is the concept of persuasion. Could you maybe just, should we just talk to what actually persuasion is? Yes, good idea. <clears throat> and interestingly, a little bit of a story behind that is that at the time when we, when I first started working with the Cialdini, you know, the, the universal levers that he talks about now, we were getting clients saying, hang on a minute, this is great, but we need to do something before we even get in the room, you know, before we even get into that moment of looking to influence and persuade people. And just at that time where we were saying, yeah, there's a real need to do something beforehand. Lo and behold, Childini is writing his persuasion book. So, yeah, some, some happy chemistry happened there at that time. And so there's an analogy that he uses in the book, which is that, you know, great gardeners don't just rely on the quality of their seeds. They prepare the soil, they nurture the soil, they get everything prepared to receive the soil and then have the best opportunity for that to, you know, survive thrive, grow, etc. So it's it's those types of things. What are the things that we can do to really maximize the opportunity of what it is that you're seeking to influence? Maybe you're looking to get a yes, a different result, a change of something or other. What can you do beforehand before the conversation even starts? So it's that kind of thinking. That's the way that, that I use it for sure. So just looking at um, the concept of, of, of persuasion, we spoke just offline about how 
different this you know so as you said robert cialdini was the one who, who's proposed but this concept of pre and persuasion but could you maybe just speak to the main domains of of, of persuasion in in your mind and and maybe how they look in in reality yes nice okay <clears throat> so of the ones that i use the headlines i give you those just the bullet points the of, of the persuasion principles as as i like to call them so outcome you know begin with the end of mind what is it that you want to achieve Privilege moments, when is a moment that people are really listening and you're not going for an underprivileged moment, which might well have the opposite impact and the one that you want to, to achieve. So priming, how can we can get how can we get them thinking about it before? You know, what what what's the types of things we want them to be thinking about before we get there? Magnetizers, how can we keep their attention on there? It might be things like, you know, making things self-relevant, dropping their name in it unended stories those types of things associations is there some kind of metaphor some kind of story that we can create here to get people thinking about this and then places is there a place that's significant is it that will be reminiscent or that will provoke a certain response from someone commitment is actually i think going to be in his third book which is persuasion of course but what are the things we can do afterwards you know, to think, okay, that went, that meeting went really well. What what are the things that we really want to test, you know, make sure that we've got agreement on the things that we said yes to, the things that we said we're going to have. And then finally, unity. Have we got all the right people around the table? Are all the right people included in this decision? This, you know, the, the thinking that needs to happen just now. So those are the ones that, that I tend to work with, those eight. So that's fantastic. There's a real sort of drop-down menu there. And um, maybe we just could just look at the... Uh, 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 the, uh, the priming associations for a minute, if that's okay, and just speak to the power of images and positive words in relation to the sort of desired goal or task. Why why are those sort of implicit words or positive notions so sort of covertly powerful in your in your minds, uh, Kristen? Because they'll create, they will influence the direction in which way you start to think, and of course that will lead to what you do so again to there's a another there's a great example from the books where he talks about a community that's dealing with a wave a cry a recent crime wave and in one study they talk about this as being a beast and of course when they start to come up with um solutions people go down quite the extreme they start to look at punishment etc what can we do here in one of the other studies they talk about it as being a virus and so they have a very different approach. How can we prevent this? How can we stop this, this crime wave? What, what do we need to do to get ahead of it? So that to me is a, a really great example of, of the priming. That the way that we put that idea in our mind, an association in and of itself, whether it's the beast or the, the, the virus, will then flow through to how we want to respond and think about that. So to your mind, Kirsten, how can we optimise the outcomes using all those different domains you mentioned what are just some of the other practical examples you could use so very practically <clears throat> if it's true that you know every action is preceded by a thought the very nature of having that list in front of you as a brainstorm list and in every situation it wouldn't necessarily be that you would apply all of the persuasion principles but if you at least you know start with the outcome as i said before that outcome you know, the end in mind it amazes me how often that's not the case. People just rush into a situation where they've got a sense of what they want, but they haven't really 
considered you know what what does over the line look like here what does a win look like so getting that outcome really clear the second one i would go to next would be the unity piece you know just making sure i haven't got all the right people that i need to speak to is there someone that i'm going to have to rely on later down the, the track here but i haven't got involved right now that might have an impact they might not be so willing you know they, they weren't able to be part of things when we were shaping the conversation outcome that type of thing and again to make sure those privileged moments that they happen in a moment that people really are listening to make sure that you <laughs> I never forget in, in my my younger years of being in the in my in my first first company and seeing a very senior female leader that I wanted to get a hold of on her on on, on a dash to the loo and chasing after and turning about her turning around and seeing her face and thinking oh my goodness this is probably the worst time to ask her what I'm gonna wait gonna gonna ask for but if I just wait a few moments you know and sure enough afterwards waited kind of hung around outside bit stalkerish but you know just a completely different face as she came out of there and knowing that that was a much better time to describe her and and I put money on it if I you know not noticed what was in front of me and and gone for it in the moment when she it really was the opposite it was an underprivileged moment so stopping and thinking about these things and then all the other ones that I mentioned a bit like a plan really what more could I do here and it might not be the same thing for everybody but thinking about the, the folks involved and it can even be as, as simple as the people that that I work with typically oftentimes have to you know very busy people fast pace and meetings it's often a an opportunity just to align everybody etc so there's a lot of work needs to go on beforehand so even if we can prime people to pre-read you know how do I get you or how would I make you want to read this bit do I highlight a bit that's got your name in it do I refer to something that I know that you're particularly interested here's the results of the you know the, the research that you were waiting on something like that linking to something that I know that's really important for you and all of this drives you to get into the shoes of the people that you're looking to use persuasion. I think that's the real key of it. Often when people think about influencing, they're thinking about what do I need to say to be really slick and to, you know, to, to make this just <clears throat> land and nobody could possibly say no. It's quite the opposite. It's really getting yourself into their shoes beforehand. What questions do I need to ask? What might be relevant for them? What would a win look like for them in this situation? So that's what I find that's really, it's, it's great for just that that brainstorming beforehand, get you in the right position before you go into those conversations. That's fantastic, actually, Kirsten, because that really reframes the conversation and it brings it out of a sense of self rather than a sense of, like you said, unity. What, what does it look like for both of us, more specifically for, for the other person? So what I'd like to do, Kirsten, is, is look at a couple of things, really. We could look at persuasion uh, with the, some of the principles Robert Cialdini talks about. I'd also maybe like to look at the uh, at Neil Rackman's taxonomy of, of behavior and some of the uh, sort of categories that he uses um, in, in practice as well. But maybe if we just to continue the theme of persuasion and persuasion, if we could just look at Robert, Ch Robert Cialdini's uh, persuasion principles could you could we maybe just speak to so he so he put forward this theory of influence and in his book he refers to sort of uh, researching car salespeople, telling marketing and fundraisers and and he sort of he speaks to the great the greats of of, of influence the the people that that really deploy their skill of influence could you maybe speak to 
um, how you've seen Robert Cialdini's um, skills of persuasion used in practice, either by yourself or other people, and, and how, how effective it can be. Nice one. Um, the thing that I love about this, for my first reaction when I, you know, when we, I was working with a colleague and I put something together on influence and I went straight to Rackham. Neil Rackham's Neil Rackham's my that's my guru on this stuff. That's who I've worked with for a long time. And that model very much is about the same thing, getting into how, how do I get engagement, etc. So when when I saw Cheldini's work and you know read the book and worked with colleagues on it. It had this this flavor of sales, as you mentioned, coming through, which, you know, I have a retail background. That was my initial, that's where I was when I was at school, I had a retail um, role. And so I could relate to them, but somehow they didn't feel quite um, palatable for the environments that I work in now, where, you know, oftentimes influence can be seen as, you know, a, a dirty job that somebody's got to do, you know, it can almost be seen as that's not something we need to do here. So I think the first of all coming back to realizing that we're all influencing all the time either influencing people away from us towards us maybe in a kind of you know kind of middling way so once you understand that and recognize that all your behaviors add up to this and then you start to look at Cialdini's universal rules and notice how they're actually they're present all the time and that was the big shift for me to get on board with Cialdini's um labors was tuning in and hearing actually folks are using this and if they knew they were using it they'd know where they can dial it up or they you know maybe need to underplay it a little bit so the the set of levers that I'm working with currently are are eight he, he mentioned six in the book that I, I call them so number one liking making sure we're in before two because what's your what's your reason for asking for whatever your reason you're asking and, and that really surprises me is how often people miss that and, and how powerful the actual word is. The, our ears, our brains just seem to want to engage when we hear the cause. The contrast, what's the other person's position? You might be coming in for something, you know, you, you've, got, you've got an ask, something you're looking to achieve. What, what, what do they want? Again, so getting into another person, what, what's, what's their situation look like? Is it aligned? Is it widely different? Is it vastly different? You know, what, what are we looking at? And then the, the notion of reciprocation. What can you bring into this situation? What can you offer? And that, again, reframes your influencing position. If you're already coming in there thinking, I'm going to ask them for this. Now, what's something I could reciprocate with in turn? And that, that goes a long way. That's something that's kind of deep in the human psyche to reciprocate. I'm sure, you know, we can all think of a time when we did something for someone, we went out our way or we bought them something, a beautiful gift or something like that. And it was never reciprocated. You know, it might be 20 years ago. We hold on to that stuff as a human being, you know. Um, so reciprocation, I see, is a key one. Consistency, social proof, you know, what what are the others doing? What are our competitors doing? Those types of things. Scarcity, again, only ever pointing to where these are naturally occurring, not, not suggesting that you would make it up or anything like that. And then the, the one I would say at the end there is, is authority and just... That would be one of my watch out ones is if overplaying that, overplaying stating you or somebody else is the expert. You know, it doesn't take too much to knock somebody off of that kind of, you know, the minute you raise somebody up to that position. So those are the ones that I typically, typically work with. And as I say, getting people to spot that they're already thinking like this, they're already using this. So once they get that, they can connect that 
and then okay which two would work really good in combination here is triplicate even it can become quite sophisticated so the information that you are giving is really quite powerful yeah it's really interesting because i think as you were saying there's there's uh, ones in in unison that could actually be work together as a synergist and one of the really most more powerful ones i've um realized in practice is the that we've all got reciprocity circuits within our prefrontal cortex within our within our brain um and actually it can be simple things it doesn't need to be big things such as someone buying me coffee and I've, I've got this automatic driver to then want to buy them coffee the next time or the time after that and this it's activating these subconscious reciprocity circuits which either are uh, you know, known by the person. The person hopefully is just doing it out of a generous heart. They're not doing it for any underlying reason. But for the concept of of an underlying reason, it's it's probably powerful to articulate. There is there is these reciprocity circuits. Now, it's interesting, and maybe I could get you to speak to this. Um, just the, the real the real piece here between influence and manipulation is is um, you know a. A, a a dagger or a indeed a knife in someone's someone's hand in a carpenter's hand in a woodworker's hand makes a beautiful carving and that knife in this, in, a, in a in a murderer's hand can is the same tool but used in a very different way could you could maybe you speak to sort of the meta theme around around influence versus manipulation and how we can use these tools for good rather than for for otherwise Absolutely. So I think the way I approach this is philosophically, I've got pretty little control over what I get back in life. I've got 100% control over what I give. So I come from a place of that with, with all of these. I know that these tools will help. They don't guarantee nothing. There would be something wrong, right? If any of these give you a surefire guarantee that, you know, you're going to blind people into saying, yes, that, that would seem far too scary and manipulative, etc. So, So my guide is typically as long as what we're working on here is win-win, that you're going to get what's good for you, what's good and right for you and, and me too. So I tend to use that also as a guide when, when thinking about this. And I, and I know the minute I, if I was to start going down that rule of that line rather of thinking about how could I give somebody this so that I get something back. People just smell that. We feel it this when there's something off. You know, my very, very first I must have been, I don't know, I was early 20s when I first started noticing this universal law um, going on in the world. And you know, I live in central London. I have done since I was 20. And um, always somebody would see on a double-decker bus when we had those, a seat, you know, and I'd make sure that I'd push my way through till I got the seat or whatever kind of thing. And I've been doing some work on leadership and starting to think different, starting to think about, you know, give, give get of life, etc. And I remember instead just getting on the bus and seeing the conductor and having a chat with him. And actually forgetting about, you know, whether there was a seat or not. And then him talking to me and guiding me to a seat, sitting me down and continuing to talk. And he was telling me stuff about London I didn't know. And then as I went to get off and, and I said, hang on, you still haven't taken my fare and, you know, give me the nod on you go. That was a free ride on me type of thing. And that really blew my mind. Wow. When I gave him my time and attention and genuine interest in what he was saying, 
something completely different came back that I had no control over. And if I'd been in my other mode of just looking to get that seat, you know, he probably would have charged me double if he could have, because I was that kind of, you know, elbows out doing what I had to do to get by. So I, th- I think that's how those loops work in my head now is knowing fundamentally there'd be something wrong if you really did have control of other people's responses. But these things help, and especially if they're used with, with it, you know, ethically and other people's what, what they need from this scenario in mind as well. So just looking at a few more of Cialdini's principles before we move on to Neil Rackman, but just looking at sort of vocalising the desired action publicly, actively and sort of voluntarily, um, sort of public declaration almost of, of, of a... Uh, of a a commitment or indeed a desire could you maybe speak to the um the concept of of this public declaration um i'm looking at your face there uh, that might not be a, a question yeah let's <laughs> maybe not the only thing i would say that is if somebody does come back with something make sure you, you spot it and you, and you jump on it and you acknowledge it you know that if somebody does give you a gift to ignore that would you know, in the influencing space, I think, you know, that would be um, <clears throat> that'd be a bit of a faux pas. So just noticing when people do make those commitments, et cetera, and they, you know, they go out of the way for you. It's really important to to seize that and, and see it and notice it and, and comment on it, et cetera. I think that goes a long way in that respect. So looking at just the power of peers and so with so, within social proofing, how, um, how, how, unconsciously do you in your mind how how does this play out in sort of like-minded people or influence other like-minded people yeah yeah i think it's a really strong one it's the game the millionaire game you know phone you know ask the crowd that type of thing I, the wisdom of the crowd there's definitely a wisdom in, in in numbers about this and i think it's a really easy one to speak to that if you're looking to make a change making a proposal or some kind of you know, and ask, you know, another member, team uh, team member, that type of thing, more resource or whatever it would be, is if that's going on elsewhere, it's it seems only one that we keep up with that, or maybe it's the competition that are doing it. Maybe we're doing that in that other divisions of our company or whatever it might be. And so, if you know, there, there can be a, a bit of the formal as well, falling out of line with what's happening elsewhere as well. But that's pretty critical, I'd say, in, in influencing as well. But it's a bit like um, I'm thinking about it in a negative way, but you know that that bit when somebody goes to give you some feedback, and it's not just me that's saying this; everybody's saying this. You know, my goodness, you've got to listen to that bit of feedback, aren't you? <laughs> but it'd be nice if you told me first before going canvassing everybody else's idea. But yeah, I, I see social proof as being really critical in the influence um, um, sphere for sure. So, looking at the concept of sort of tapping into um, offering valuable information in a, in a climate of, sort of scarcity and sort of ascending the levels of, of trust. I, I feel like concept of trust is, is, is massive because like you said, it's the prerequisite to an inter, any interaction is that actually you, I trust you that you have got honorable intentions, that there's no Machiavellian or indeed nefarious uh, origins to your request indeed, or, or, or your desired outcome. So could you, Maybe could you speak to um, that 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 inference of of, of trust and uh, in a cli- and the climate of scarcity? Yeah, and and I you know just going back to the very point that you make there, 
for me, and I often say this when you know using these tools with clients, is that really that is absolutely the heart of influence is trust. So if you are going to talk to scarcity, just be honest about it. Don't make anything up. You know, I think that would, oh my goodness. In fact, um, Childini talked a lot about his brother using it nefariously um, or manipulatively, impl- implying that it's uh, that it's there when it isn't. Um, you know, we, we, we've become very exposed to these ideas. Only so many seats left on the flight at this price of... So many other people looking at you know it's everywhere now scarcity. eBay is 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 based on the whole notion of scarcity. The flip side of it is if there is a genuine shortage or there's only a, a small period of time where a resource is available, I think people would want to know that. You know, in most cases, they would want to be aware of that. That you know, I can give you someone to work on this if you're ready to go in the next two weeks. After that, you're going to have to wait for two months. So that would influence somebody's decision, right? And whilst it might suit me to go quicker, if that's also true, I think that's fair that they that they know that. I, in fact, I had the very question out with a client just now who wants two cohorts of the same thing, um, and if they want that at the same time, that that's a challenge for me, kind of thing. That really is is a scarcity issue from them. So it's not about trying to get them to pay up now for two cohorts at one time it genuinely is if they want this need met I really need to understand that so so it's it's critical and I think because it is being used a lot in marketing people tend to shy away from it but actually it can be really solid valuable information that's that's valuable to both sides of the the scenario. So just looking for a minute at um, the authority uh, or, or the concept of authority I think you know the ecosystem we've just all come out of around you know struggling and managing a pandemic with the authority of expertise and looking to certain figures public health figures for for the authority of expertise and using that information could you just sort of maybe speak to um to the concept of authority and how it's used wisely and how you can um steward it appropriately I think it's a, it's a great question. And, you know, looking at what we've noticed, as you say, what we've just come out of in the pandemic. And I found, actually, when we talk about subject matter experts, so we didn't just have a, a pandemic. We didn't just have a challenge because of COVID. It was all the other in, all the other impacts that it was having. And we were really only listening to one stream of authority. There was all sorts of mental health issues becoming very, you know, safety people not being safe in their homes children you know being um at risk etc um so i think that would be a key point is is yes of, of course get your subject matter experts your authorities on there but not just one you know and not just in, in isolation you know consider the whole scenario um again back to your outcome what is it we're actually trying to achieve here so what other authorities would we would we need on this subject um and, and and again, to really look at the what, what what's the what's the credentials that makes this person an authority, you know, I think I think that's pretty important as well to be looking at the the individual that we've we've elevated. I often work with um, some consultants, and it's something that they have to really play. And I remember this from my own career, being an internal consultant, often being you know going into advisor team where you're the youngest by a long shot, etc. You're dre- 
you know, you're coming from, from London, the way you're dressed, you look different to the client, all those types of things. I think it's a real watch out one is, is overplaying the authority cards um, is, is a real watch out, I would say, on this one. So I, I tend to, you know, it's important for people to know why you are the expert and to have that that bit of information, etc. But yeah, as I say, a bit of a watch out with it, make sure that that person really is the authority and are, are they equally bit of the social proof coming in here other others on this on this topic you know I, I was astounded through the pandemic that we didn't have economists and you know policy experts etc health policy looking at it was you know we were really just looking from virologists etc so yeah I think I think there's a lot more to that one. So Kirsten could I get you to speak to Neil Rackham's work around the taxonomy of behaviour? Absolutely so I first became aware of Rackham's work in 1998 and the research had actually been done at the end of the 60s, 70s, but in 98, it felt radical. And I would say up until recently, I, it still feels quite radical um, as a communicating behaviours model. Up until then, when I first discovered this, I'd only been familiar with Moravian, you know, the guy that talks about giving the words somewhere between 5 and 7% of value in an overall com- uh, communication. And then he talks about... The, the 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 song and the dance if you like of um body language and tonality etc so when I got to Rackham and Rackham only focuses on the words that really got my attention because it was in sharp contrast to was a, a child to me to what I had learned previously and so Rackham was all about looking at, at giving for this piece of work it's not his most well-known piece of work that would be spin selling and that's not something I know much about at all but the taxonomy I use is um 11 different behaviours, communicating behaviours, um, from the most popular, which I would say is giving information. My my years of research look like most of us hang out in giving information 95-ish percent of the time. And then there's some other I-centric, me-centric behaviours. So giving information, proposing ideas and disagreeing with others. There's a couple of red watch out ones in there, shutting out, over-talking, interrupting, those types of things, defend attack. That's when disagreeing goes too high and things become personal and we get into that downward spiral. So in between those five, you've got these six green behaviours, which are all about the other person, seeking information, supporting other people's ideas, and then that creates an opportunity for you to build on other people's ideas, testing understanding, summarising what other people have said and bringing other people into conversations. So that whole green space for me is what I would call the influencing space. When we start to work in that area of, of others rather than, than, than me, we start to get people engaged. We get them thinking about, about the topic. We can get them thinking about the outcome that you're seeking to achieve. What do they think about that? How do they see that working? You know, What might they bring to the party? What would be in it for them if we went down that route? So they get engaged. They start taking responsibility. We start collaborating. You know, there's a lot, a lot more happening now all of a sudden. So if you were to combine Rackham's green behaviours with Cialdini's blue, con- eh, sorry, with his concepts, which I call them blue because those levers from liking the cause, et cetera, all the way down to authority, you could still do that in a very blue way, you know, where it's just all my ideas of, you know, on that that doesn't really engage you. So if you could combine Cialdini's levers with Rackham's green behaviours where we make it about you and bringing you along I think it's a a whole different experience when it comes to influencing 
And again, the very fact that you've got Rackham's model in, in your head, it's again getting you to reframe it because it's not just what I want. It's, it's what do we both want from this? What would be what would success look like? What would be ethically successful for both of us here? So that's the power of the two. And I just wouldn't work with one without the other in this space nowadays. I just see them so powerful. People get it. And when we practice this in, in masterclasses or whatever, you see the, the change immediately, you know, when people start to just dial up ever so slightly the way that they combine these two tools, really powerful stuff. So I looking at the, the, the we centric versus the I centric. So that collaborative piece and um, and shifting the focus from you, I, I think is is powerful because the we implies a lot more of of what's good for you and uh, and me thinking about you rather than just like you said me thinking about me. And um, interestingly, it's you're right it, it, it moves it away from the eye centered behaviors which are like you said the blue behaviors with the proposing the giving information um interestingly the eye centered behavior there can be a healthy amount of disagreeing disagreeing is a blue centered behavior it, it only really turns red when it's sort of shutting out or defending and uh, i think this is there's a central concept here as well is that disagreement doesn't necessarily mean there can't be persuasion or there can't be eventual agreement um but and it's it's when it becomes personal and when when you start to become like say defensive or or attacking and they're seeing the, the it, it moves away from the concept to the person so it becomes personal so it's very much an eye centered but it's also so i very much welcome a sense of debate a sense of critique and a sense of disagreement but it, it has to be very much rather than emotive just sort of more brought out into a conceptual basis and and, and kept there because other, otherwise people then start focusing on self-preservation. It very much does become about I. And you start to break down the fundamental components of persuasion, but of, of just unity and of outcome. Um, could you, could you, would, you, would you agree with that statement, Kirsten? Absolutely. Absolutely. So of the blue behaviours, the giving information, proposing, disagreeing, we say they're all really necessary, that they can easily be overdone. And I think it's exactly being... Um, mindful enough to notice that to disagreeing still to this day is one of the behaviors that I see the least in my analysis and I do analysis regularly two three times a week I still see very little disagreeing and that that surprises me so I think there's still a, a, an element of fear is still sometimes seen as a little bit arrogant or I don't know people just seem uncomfortable to get into that space when often it's really needed people need to it's the contrast, I guess. It's, and you know, need to understand how you see things. You know, we're not going to get to real, really great outcomes if I'm not hearing the whole story, you know, if there's a different view here. So I think it's a skill and ability to be able to disagree, but in a way that it keeps it healthy, it's about the topic. We don't cross over and take the low road where it does become personal. And that, that seems to happen, um, that can happen quite easily. And and so there's much more sophisticated ways, you know, the testing understanding is a great one. And in the world that, that I work in, we see that used beautifully, you know, much more coming from a place of curiosity about how do you see things? You, you obviously see this different from me. Help me understand what is it you're seeing that I'm not? 
completely different way of saying you're wrong <laughs> you know and and it, it just is again it's a reframe isn't it it just it just puts you in a different space of wanting to understand and really being curious and people find that engaging they want to be understood you know and actually if anything i find that if you come from that position they'll offer it even more or a different perspective from the one that you might get if you're locking into a position of disagreement they lock down myself and we get more and more entrenched and much more likely to get into that defend attack um, kind of position so yeah it's it's good stuff the great really really useful stuff and as i say combined with the Cialdini movement becomes pretty powerful and and it's far more collaborative but as you said actually what it does is it leads to a lot more engagement and de-escalation uh, i facilitate and teach quite a lot and actually sometimes have to deal with some abrupt personalities or indeed abrupt answers and it's how you're right it's how you deal with those abrupt answers and it's how you turn those maybe quite stark or quite sharp uh, opinions into more debate and more understanding to sort of yeah, to de-escalate to start to get people to open up to, to try and open discourse to a wider base of people as well so it's not just the fringes or indeed the more outspoken people that are speaking and um, there's a real skill to that there's a real skill to reframing to de-escalation and to opening up, up the room and um, I, I find it fascinating uh, myself Kirsten, could I just, as we're coming into land on the conversation, could I just get you to speak to sort of just maybe the take-home messages around, around sort of what everything we've been speaking around, sort of from persuasion to persuasion to Neil Rackham's um, uh, principles or taxonomy of behaviours. Could, could I just, um, just, just two or three different take-homes just in your mind that you'd like to leave listeners with? Thank you. Thank you, Anne. This is happening, as I said at the start, all the time. We're doing it the way we interact with people. Do we smile? Do we look in their eye? Do we ask them something about them, first of all, before we tell them something about us? Something like that. This, it's, it's night and day. That's simple. You know, it can start with a smile to somebody, you know, walking into a room of training people, you know, if you're the trainer working in there to work with a group of participants, you know, noticing them seeing them bringing them in welcoming them like a guest to your home that you would like to invite just quite basic stuff to be honest stuff that we seem to lose in the busyness of, of every day so i'm saying basic but i'm not always saying easy with everything else that's coming on so so be thinking thinking about it from the other person's perspective in the most human of ways you know how, how do i want to connect with this person assuming there's a connection there's an, an ability to be made there that would be a key thing and then my next thing is think about it beforehand. You're going to do a much better job. You're going to have a much better chance if you've thought about your outcome, you've thought about your unity. When is a good time to speak to this person? You know, maybe they've just had some really good news. What a great opportunity to find out what impact that's had for them and then open up a dialogue, those types of things. So I think, you know, coming right back to being human, how, how do I want others to treat me and showing them that, that same dignity and then thinking through beforehand. These tools are all great depending on the level of thought that goes into them beforehand. Like anything, using the wrong way, they'll have the completely opposite impact. People will smell a mile away if you're if you're off in any way, etc. So coming from the right place, thinking about what the other person wants, I think there's some pretty good guides um, in terms of how you use these. And a great great place to get, get started. Just 
have a go. It's relevant to all of us in every every walk of life, every day. It's happening all the time. So definitely worth an explore and start to see. Like my bus story, that was where it kind of really started to get into this jumping on the bus and having a different conversation with the con- with the conductor than I would have had previously and getting completely different outcome that there's no way I could have manipulated or controlled myself. So just looking for those little moments in everyday life, I would say good place to start. Kirsten, that's fantastic. And I just really do value your perspectives and thoughts over the last hour. Um, so what I'd just like to do is signpost to your work on the on the show notes. So there will be links to the content we've been speaking about um, around Neil Reckham's work, around uh, Cialdini's work, and indeed the Red 10 website, where you can see these different coloured uh, behaviours and uh, taxonomy of behaviours that we've mentioned. So it just leaves me, Kirsten, to say a big thank you to you for the last hour. Uh, and just your engagement and perspectives pleasure thank you very much indeed for having me great to talk about these subjects anytime and do go look at that red tent website loads and loads of articles we've written on these subjects so if it's you know if that if that's if it's caught your attention there'll probably be some catchy titles of red letters in there that you might like to read as well so please please go and check that out